My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. We're in a series. Today we begin through Galatians. And I, I want to begin by talking about my favorite subject in the book of Galatians, Steve McQueen. When I was a kid, I idolized Steve McQueen. I was just this young kid that I loved watching movies on Saturday morning. And when a Steve McQueen movie would come on, man, I just was riveted. Even even The Blob, I loved that one. And a little comical, campy. But um, when, I, when I was a kid looking at Steve McQueen, he was one of those guys that I idolized. He was like a man's man. He could race motorcycles. He raced cars. He flew airplanes. He was, a, he was just a, an all-around man's man for me as a kid. And, um, you know, reading about his life, he had a really troubled life. If you read about the fact that his dad, you know, basically sent him away, kicked him out, went to a boarding school, a, a reform school for young punks. And that's what he was. He was a scrappy kid. The only thing he inherited from his dad was a chip on his shoulder, joined the Marines and got into all kinds of trouble. Uh, but he ended up saving five guys from a tank that was sinking in the Arctic ocean. And so he, he, you know, he ended up getting out with some honors. He moved and migrated to Hollywood, wanted to get into acting. See, Steve was on a mission to find himself, to find that fulfillment that was longing in his heart. And from poverty to really this wonderful, you know, promotion that the world says is everything. Steve was on that journey. My favorite movies as a kid were movies like uh, The Magnificent Seven. I think the greatest Western, you know, ever made. I don't know about the new one. I haven't seen that, but the original one, just an awesome Western. Yul Brynner. Come on. Yul Brynner was amazing. And uh, then uh, The Great Escape. I loved that movie as a kid. Saw that all the time. World War II fan, you know, as far as like history and studying and to see that these uh, British and American POWs tunneled their way out. Love that movie. And then Bullet, of course. I mean, what kid didn't like the Mustang fastback, you know, dark green. And as a kid, I would watch these movies and I, I looked up to Steve McQueen. And, and if you don't know who this guy is, maybe you know Lightning McQueen, different McQueen. Um, but Steve McQueen, to me, he was a hero. In fact, this is what gripped me the first time I saw this. Watch this. I 
got a motorcycle. I tried to do that. It didn't work. Okay. Uh, so I sold my bike. But the, the fact is, as a kid, I was captivated. And when you, you know, you follow a person, you discover they're working overtime to fulfill their dreams. That was Steve McQueen looking for freedom, fulfillment. 1974, Steve McQueen starred in the greatest of the blockbuster disaster films, Irwin Allen's The Towering Inferno, starred with Paul Newman, but he was paid more than Paul Newman. Now, if you're an older person, you know Paul Newman was everything. Steve made it to the top. He was the highest paid actor in 1974, yet after that, he stopped appearing in movies. He just didn't like it anymore. He had achieved everything his heart desired. And yet it wasn't what he was really looking for. And he faded off into obscurity. And, uh, you know, he, he moved away. He moved up to Ketchum, Idaho. He tried to find himself. Ends up down in Southern California again. Ends up going to a church with his wife. And after a year or so, receives Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story. And then two years later, he dies of cancer. Nobody really knows the story of the end of Steve's life, but all he was looking for, for freedom and fulfillment, all that he had achieved was not found in fame or in wealth and popularity. It, he achieved it with the prayer of receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I watched a documentary a couple weeks ago of Steve and the last recording, it's an audio recording of him. He was down in Mexico at this cancer treatment facility. And, and this is what he said. He said, I wish I could tell people all that Jesus has done for me and how he's changed my life. And I thought, we don't know that. I never knew the rest of the story, you know, of Steve. But you and I know our story, right? We are on a self-salvation plan, but that's what we do in this world. We are broken. The Bible says we sinned. We're filled with shame. We've got this pain in our life and we try to work it out and we try to save ourselves and we do whatever we can do, whether it's with other people or with our dreams and our hopes and desires. Every one of us, myself included, we're on a self-salvation plan. Let's figure out how to get true freedom. Let's figure out how to get true fulfillment. And... I hope that you discover what Steve discovered, what I've discovered, is that you can reach all of those things and it doesn't actually satisfy. It doesn't fill in the gaps in your life like we think it does, like everybody tells us it does. But true freedom and true fulfillment comes with a prayer, with an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who's come to give his life for us. In fact, Jesus himself said it this way in the book of John. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And now what's interesting about that and beautiful about that is Jesus himself was truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not one of the truths, not one of the lives. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And you can know the truth, Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. But I would say this, you could still be a church person and be on a self-salvation policy. I know this because I, I was a church person for many years before I became a follower of Jesus. And even every once in a while, I kind of, you know, slide into church person mentality. It's called religion. It's what we do for God and kind of our brownie points we think we can earn with God by our own, once again, self-salvation policy. And Paul writes to this group of people in this area called Galatia. And he writes to them. And every week over the next several months, we're going to see that his message applies mostly to church people, to people like you and me. 
Because I think it's easy for us to come to church to receive the message or to get comfortable with the message. And then somehow kind of revert to our own plan, our own, once again, self-salvation policy, our own desire to make it on our own. And Paul is going to talk to us today, even in this introduction, and tell us we can give that up. Because the only thing that brings freedom and the only thing that brings fulfillment is not your own way of working it out. That's futile, but of just coming to Jesus because he is the one that rescues us. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to Galatians chapter one. It's uh, in the middle of Paul's writings, page 890 in your chair Bible. And you could turn to Galatians one. We're just going to see the first few verses. And really all it is, is an introduction. And I don't know what you do when you write a letter. Uh, if I write a personal letter, I'll say dear to someone and, you know, I know them or I'll just say hi. Writing, I think, is a lost art, especially with, you know, the texts that we do now. I mean, we can't even read our texts. Somebody from, you know, a hundred years ago, it's like, what are all these characters? What are all these emojis? I don't understand anymore. You know, uh, I, 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 I'm a really bad texter because I like to write. And so I will actually write whole words. I had somebody uh, the other day says, hey, please pray for my MIL, MIL, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what in the world is an MIL? I don't know that. And I had to look it up and nobody knew that. And I come to find out, read the rest of it. Oh, it's mother-in-law. Okay. All right. Okay. Or, you know, the only thing I will do is when my wife texts me something and I'll respond with a K. It's like, okay. It's like, there, K. That's good. You know, but I'm not like OMG. I don't do that kind of stuff. LOL. That's just not me. I like to write words. Okay. Actually, I had commas. And dashes. I put periods and exclamation points. Okay. I do that. I'm, I'm a bad texter, really, honestly. I like to, I like to form sentences. And so you wouldn't know it by the way I talk, but, but I really do like this. And so I'll write a letter. I wrote a business letter before I went to Cuba and it's to a person I didn't know. And it was dear so-and-so. And I thought that's kind of funny. Dear so-and-so dear. That person's not dear to me. I don't even know who they are, but it's a formality, right? We kind of write letters a certain way. Paul did the same thing. Paul writes his letter. What I want to do is I want to read uh, the, the two screens, which is verses one to five, just entirety. And then we'll come back to it. Okay. So this is what we've got in the new living translation. Paul starts out of the gate with this. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God, the father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now it'd be easy just to jump to the real meat of the the book, which is starting in verse six. It'd be easy to say, let's take a look at the arguments. But I think Paul's introduction here, as simple as it is, really still speaks to you and to me. And it's not just a throwaway. It's not just a let's get to the good stuff. It is the good stuff. In fact, what Paul is doing, and we're going to see in the weeks to come, is Paul is making a really great statement. And it's actually two statements. The first one, let's go back to the first part of it. It says in verse one, he says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. Now, an apostle is someone who was sent. That's all that means. Someone who's sent in the Bible. There were the big apostles, the disciples of Jesus, and then Paul. And then there were other apostles. Like you could say letters, a small, a kind of, and there's the capital a Paul was a capital a apostle. You had to have exposure to Jesus Christ. Paul's story is he was an apostle of legalism. He 
was very religious in his Jewish background. He was a persecutor of the early church, the Christians, and he was an apostle of destruction and death. Okay, he knew that. And he was fervent about that. He was passionate about that. You can read about that in the middle part of his letter to the Philippians. And he says this, he says, I was out there to destroy the church. And then he shows up one day on a road and Jesus shows up and he encounters Jesus and all of a sudden everything is turned around for him. He becomes an apostle of Jesus now. And so he says, I want to, I want to just tell you who I am. Now he's defending himself. You know that if you're in any kind of confrontation, you know, you can protest too much, right? You can defend yourself too much, but out of the gate, Paul starts to defend himself. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. Okay. He needs to develop his credentials. And he says this, I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority. He's saying, you know, bottom line is I don't really care what you think about me because they didn't have a high view of him. He says, I really only care what Jesus thinks about me and my authority, the power for everything I'm going to tell you in my letter comes directly from my relationship with Jesus. And so if you don't Think it for me. Think it for Jesus. If you don't take my you know, authority for me, Jesus himself put me on this course. Jesus himself made me an apostle. Now, now we can't say that, you know, even if we would consider ourselves a leader, I can't, even as your pastor, I can't say that I was appointed by Jesus himself. I was appointed by a group of people. Okay. Our church, that's kind of how it works here. But he says, I, I need you to know that my authority comes from Jesus Christ, God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now I think about that even for you and for me, you know, we have authority in our lives. And as I was thinking about it this last week, I thought, well, we could get our authority from one or a combination of three sources. You you might have more, but I just kind of reduced it to three. You can get your authority from inside. In other words, your conscience, whatever uh, you think is right or wrong. And a lot of us do that. I mean, I think we, we all do that naturally. We determine what's right or wrong. You could let uh, your conscience be your guide, right? And, and, you know, for the most part, that can work unless you're a serial killer because their conscience is their guide too. Um, and they just determined to do that. I read the uh, writings of Rudolf Hess. He was the commandant of Auschwitz in, uh, in Poland. Now, my wife and I had been there. And so I just had to kind of get into his head to figure this out. And he writes that his conscience was his guide. And he was trying to find a better way, a more humane way to exterminate people. And so the best way, the simple way was this Cyclone B gas. And, and it was a great way. And he was doing a really good thing for them because it was painless. His conscience was his guide. Okay. If, if the only authority you have is from the inside, you, you'll just end up doing whatever you want. And it might not be right. I mean, you could be a good moral person and whatever. And I understand that you could just live a good American life, whatever. But if, if your ultimate authority is your inside, you, your conscience, um, There's no check on that. There's no way to gauge the value or the right or wrongness of that. You might say, I don't want anybody to gauge the right or wrongness of that. I alone determine what's right or wrong. I alone determine what I want to do. I alone determine what's good or bad for me. And and we live this way in the world. This is how our world is, right? So your conscience could be your guide. You can look inward or you can look outward. You could look around yourself. You could look to your culture and you could let culture be the guide. And, And, you know, in some ways, in many ways, sometimes culture. Culture is a good guide, depending on the moral values of a nation or a group of people. Uh, but if you've lived 
any number of years as I have. I'm 53, and, and I've known that even in my years, our culture has changed. Our, our, our culture, our world around us has shifted in many ways. And if you let culture be your guide, if you, if you look outside of yourself around, uh, you know, that, that, that might work for a season if everything is kind of lined up with, with some objective truth. But if it's not, it's whatever is the group, whatever the, the culture says. And so if you let the culture be your guide, you know, it might be okay or it might not be okay because it shifts and it changes over time. Or you go to a different culture and you move to a different culture and then they're different than you are. And I think it's kind of interesting when we see as an American culture and we're really dominant in our thinking and we're, I would say we're kind of proud and arrogant at times around the world. And we think we're the ones that know everything. And then we encounter a culture that is different and they believe differently than we who are so quick to say, don't ever impose your values on anyone else, quickly impose our values on someone else. Okay. We, we struggle with hypocrisy. Okay. Because we look at another nation, another country, and they have different values and we say they're wrong. Say, whoa, whoa, whoa. How can any of us say anyone's wrong? If our conscience is our guide or if our culture is our guide, what's right and wrong? Or you could look up. You could look in or you could look out or you could look up. And, and, and as much as I would like to say I do this 24-7, I don't because none of us do this 24-7. We struggle with this. But you could look up and let Christ be your guide. You could let the commands of God be your guide. For me, one of the, the ways that helps me is I, I just open my Bible every morning and I read a couple chapters. And it's a constant reminder that I'm not in charge, that I'm not the authority. And uh, there, there's good stuff all throughout the Bible. I just finished the book of Genesis and I'm reading about Judah and I'm reading about Jacob and all that. And man, the Bible's fun. If, if, you, if you think it's boring, read Genesis. You want to you wanna find some family values that are messed up? Man, read Genesis. It's like they put the fun and dysfunction, those people. Abraham, Isaac. Jacob, Joseph, it's like, man, if you had a family like that, most of you go to prison, you know, I mean, but it's, it's, there's something to be taught and learned in all those that God is a plan that God's working things out. And even this morning that when somebody means evil and it is evil, but God can turn that around for good. God can do it for bigger purpose than you. Well, I, I, I would say, and this is my calling. And obviously I have to say this, not because I have to, but because I do, I'm a pastor. I would say, let Christ be your guide. See what Paul is saying is I didn't let myself decide to be an apostle. If that was the case, we know that he didn't want to, he wanted to destroy the church. I didn't let my culture decide what was going to be right or wrong. In fact, he's going to say, I'm not even going to let you decide that I am an authority based on Jesus as an authority. He says, I I want Jesus to be my guide. And I, I would, I would just ask you this question today. Really, truly now, apart from the, you know, the being a church or whatever and thinking, you know, I'm, of course, Jesus is my guide. Really, truly, who makes the decisions? Is it what you decide ultimately? Which is pretty much how most of us live. I, I do at times. Is that how the culture lives or is it how Christ is telling us to live? If that's as simple for me, it's, it's really simple. If you say you're a follower of Jesus then wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? That's pretty simple. But wouldn't you want to know Jesus? Wouldn't you want to know what he says? See, Paul says, I need out of the gate, right out of the chute, open the first door, Jesus is my guide. I need you to know that. He's my authority. And I'd, I'd encourage you to think about that. He goes on, he says, all the brothers and sisters here, uh, join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, the, the interesting thing is, is that 
Now, this is the longest of any of Paul's introductions because he's got this big argument he's going to talk about. He's, he's, I could say he's like angry. He's really mad. He's ticked off because this is what's happened. We'll see it in the weeks to come. As he goes around and plants churches, this is Paul. He goes, he grabs his friends, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and all these people. They move into an area. Uh, They go to the Jewish synagogue and talk to the Jewish people. They go to the marketplace and talk to the Gentile people. People respond to Jesus. They know him as Messiah, as Christ. They're following him. And then he forms them as a church, puts some leadership over them, some elders. And then he leaves and he says, okay, I'm leaving now. I'm going to go plant another church. So he just does this all throughout that area, the known world. In, in Turkey and Greece, Paul travels there and he will then write a letter back to them. And so our letters like to the Ephesians, uh, the Ephesian Christians, they live in a town called Ephesus or Philippi, the Philippians. But it's interesting, Galatia, there's no town of Galatia. It's a region it would be like writing a letter to Washington County Christians. OK, the churches in Washington County, because. What Paul is doing as he's planting this pure message of Jesus is he's very aware that there are other people that are coming in after him and they are sowing some discord. They're sowing some errors, some lies. And we'll see next week the fundamental lie that they sow is that, oh, it's good to have Jesus, but you need something else. If you really want to be complete, you've got to add to that. Okay, but we'll talk about that next week. So Paul's second message through this is not just his authority as Jesus, but it's actually, here's the message. I want you to know what my message is. Look what he says. He says, may God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That's pretty typical of a nice, you know, introduction, salutation. Look at this. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, a couple things in here. This is the summation of everything Paul taught, not just in Galatians, which we'll see, but in Romans and Corinthians, all all of his letters. He says, I need you to know this simple message. The simple message is this, is that we on our own, we're lost. We're broken. He uses this word sins. We violated the relationship with God. And he does a masterful job of that in the book of Romans, talking about it really originated with Adam and Eve in the very beginning. And now we're tainted with it. But let's just think about this. He says, Jesus came a a real person, a historical figure in time and place. Jesus came. He came and he lived and he did miracles and he taught. He did wonderful things. And then he died on the cross. And it wasn't just some random, you know, he found him in a situation. He was a nice, good teacher, moral guy. And all of a sudden, you know, he got caught in a trap and he died. And the believers kind of made it all up afterwards. I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous message because none of the historical documents tell us that. They all tell us otherwise, that Jesus came so that he could die. Jesus came to give his life for our sins. The whole purpose that Jesus lived for And we see it in the last three years of his life in the last even six months is that he had to go to the cross because the bigger purpose of God had to be fulfilled. And that is he had to die for us from the very beginning of the Bible. You see this idea that uh, if there's going to be any kind of covering or renewal of a relationship with God, uh, blood has to be shed from the very first time God covered Adam and Eve was with the death of an animal. And so all throughout the story, and it's a... I'll be honest, it's a pretty depressing story. 
the animal had to die to cover over sin. Ultimately, Jesus comes. He dies. He gives his life for us. Jesus Christ came. Now, it's interesting. It says for our sins and all the modern translations say that. But it really means like on behalf of in exchange for us. Jesus came and gave his life on our behalf. That was the whole plan of God is that Jesus would come and give his life for us. Now, that means that if you were to go up to uh, Buddha today, and I mean no disrespect to religions around the world, but if you were to go up to Buddha and say, thank you for dying for my sins, <laughs> like, well, not even close. <laughs> if you were to go up to you know, Confucius and say, you know, hey, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for being my savior. If you were to go up to Muhammad, again, I mean no disrespect, but if you go up to any religious leader that we know of in our world, and you were to put them on that level, they would reject that. But if you were to go up to Jesus and say, thank you for dying for my sins, he's like, yeah, you get it. I'll call you Lord and Savior. Yeah, that's exactly who I am. He received that worship because that's who he is. That's who he was on the earth. That's who he still is today. He still is the one that by his act of dying for our sins covers over our sins and creates a relationship between us and God and it's called reconciliation. It's a beautiful story. He says, this is what God, the father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. And I love that word rescue. Think about this. Jesus did not come just as a good moral teacher. I mean, think about it. If, if all Jesus really came to do was be a good moral teacher, he was not just a failure. He was a liar because he claimed to be so much more than that. If, if you say, well, Jesus was a good moral role model. It's like, no, nah, he was a horrible role model. If that's all he was, he's a deceiver. He's a, a, a shyster. I mean, he's a charlatan if that's all he was. But the Bible says Jesus was more than that. He came to rescue us. He came to pull us out. Here's, here's an illustration I was sharing with my sons. Imagine that you're in the water and you're, you're drowning. And your best attempt is not working. And you're going down for the count first time, second time, you know, and you're reaching out there. Uh, anyone that loves you would not throw you a manual on how to swim, right? Swimming for dummies. Even if the pages were laminated, it would be like, thanks a lot. That's really cruel. Okay. I'm dying here that we wouldn't just get a little lifeboat and get a megaphone and go, okay, now here's what you need to do. No, no. Lift the left hand. I said the left hand up and over your shoulders. And now the right, you're not cupping your fingers enough. Kick, kick, come on, kick. You can do this. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to jump in the water, my friends, and to pull us to safety, which in the process, using the analogy, he himself dies. He came to rescue us, not to improve us. He didn't come to make our life just a little bit better. Now, church people, we really struggle with this because we can get so used to being religious and being good enough that we just need a little more good to be enough. And so we create all these rules. We create all this stuff extra that really then takes away from the message. And that's what the Galatian letter is all about, is that we have, as religious people, added so much to the story of Jesus that we no longer know the story of Jesus. And so Paul says this, and this is a simple message, is that Jesus came to save us. The whole motivation that Paul has is that you and I need to be rescued from our sins. You and I don't, don't need to just get a little improvement, self-salvation policy going here. We are lost. 
We are desperately lost and we are drowning and going down. Now, to which I know some of us would say, why are you sharing all this? I've been to church before. I kind of know that story. You know, one of the dangers of attending church week after week after week is we hear these stories over and over again, right? Uh, at sunrise, I, I've been preaching this since 1998. Okay. This is, this is the message. And I remember early on as senior pastor, we were over in our old building over uh, by Jones farm area. And I was, I don't even remember what I was preaching. I was just preaching the gospel. And we'll see that word next week. Uh, the good news about Jesus. And uh, a lady needed to meet with me. And I said, okay, let's meet. So she came into my office and she was, she was really respectful. And we had a great conversation. But uh, here was her question. Why do you think it's necessary for you to preach the gospel? And I, I thought, I do not understand your question. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so I said that. I said, what do you mean by that? Why would I preach the gospel? That's the only thing I have. And she said, well, that's just for lost people. And like, that's like kindergarten stuff. We need to go on to more important stuff. And I go, I don't understand what's more important than the gospel. I mean, it's the gospel, right? And she goes, well, we need to know the deeper, meatier stuff. I go, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some good stuff we can learn, but... Paul, the deeper meteor guy, he was all about the gospel. And I I think that, and here's a danger for you and for me, we can hear the message and we can respond to the message and receive the message and then think, I don't need that anymore. And I want to tell you this and, and, and Sunrise Church from me as your lead pastor on down, we all need the gospel every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to hear the gospel. Otherwise we might forget And we might start to create our own, once again, self-salvation policy. And, oh, I prayed that prayer. I checked that box. I need something more. It's like, really? Paul's letter to the Galatians is, don't add anything because there isn't anything more. It's the gospel. Now, we we have communion every week here. We share communion. Uh, We we do things again and again. We sing songs. And it's easy for us. I know it's easy for us to kind of get into a pattern, a repetitive mode where it doesn't have the same meaning, right? If you're in a relationship with someone, uh, friendship with someone, romantic relationship with someone, maybe you're married, you know, you've got children. uh, You know, we know that we can kind of take for granted all that we have because it's not new anymore. It's not fresh. My hope as we walk through this series in the book of Galatians is that we discover every week how fresh the gospel is for us. That without the gospel, we have nothing. Even now, as a follower of Christ, the only message we have for our community is the gospel. The reason we do all the things we do as a church to serve people is about the gospel. The reason we have a building and spend money on a building is because the gospel The reason that we do all the things that we do is about the gospel. The reason I got back from training pastors in Cuba was I was going there because of the gospel. And and next week we have our team from India that's going to, that went to India. They're going to come and they're going to present. And the whole purpose of that, yeah, there were some training and teachings, but it was about the gospel. How much of your life really is about the gospel, the good news? If you think, well, I I thought, I thought John 316 was enough. And I prayed the prayer. Keep coming. Because you're going to see that Paul has one message. And it's this. Let's not leave and move on and graduate from the gospel. Because we might create a system. Our own church, religious, self-salvation system. 
that forgets the most important thing. And we morph into something, somebody, some church that no longer needs the gospel. The only message we have, my friends, the only message is the gospel. The only thing we offer to our community is the gospel. The only hope that we have to see anybody change is the gospel. It's not our right moral living. It's not our rules. It's not our building. It's not our comfy chairs, our great coffee. It's, it's not any of that. And great coffee was a little bit of a stretch because uh, I just got back from Cuba. And that's great coffee. Okay. But, but I'm telling you, the only thing we have is the gospel. So how much today, how much in this moment do you recognize Acknowledge and I would say appreciate the fact that Jesus came to save you. He came to rescue you from this present evil world. How much do you say, man, I'm clinging to that. I'm going to sing about that. I'm going to live for that. And if you think, well, let's grow up and go on to something more important. I don't have anything more important because Paul didn't have anything more important. It's simply this. God came into the world to rescue sinners And I'll stand in the first line and go, I'm in that person. And I desperately need Jesus every day of my life. Let me kind of sum up what Paul says. And it's really going to be the rest of the book. And, you know, I I joke about this. I never have points. I'm a pointless preacher. Um, But here are three points if you need one of those. Uh, Paul's ministry. He says he's an apostle. I was sent by Jesus. And then his message. My message is really it's all about Jesus. We're going to see that every week. I didn't really talk about it. But his motive, and we'll go on to that, is just a simple motive. It's pure. It's godly. He just wants to focus on Jesus and glorify Jesus. And I would say this. If we could just sum up Sunrise Church, and I would hope sum up you, whatever you do, wherever you're plugged in, serve in a group, whatever you do. What's your ministry? Is it because you've now received this message and and you're sent by Jesus? Not on the same level as Paul. I'm certainly not. What is your message, though? Is it about church? Is it about moral living? Is it about therapeutic, moralistic deism so you could feel better about yourself? A little self-help here and there, three tips to the better, whatever. Or is it about, all I got is Jesus. All I've got is, we were dead in our sins. Jesus came and gave his life, died on our behalf. That's, that's all I got, simple message. And then your motivation. What would be your motivation? What are you living for? You might think, come on, you're not expecting me to be a guy like Paul or a gal like, you know, Paulette. You know what I mean? It's like, why not? Why not? We live in a world that needs Jesus all around us. We, we live in communities that are far from God that need rescuing, right? We, 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 don't we need, don't we need Jesus? Doesn't everybody around us? What if our whole motive For everything we were to be about is I I need to be a part of this message of sharing Jesus. And you go, but uh, wait a minute, I'm not an evangelist. It's like, well, I'm not either. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I'm not a pastor. Okay, I am, but you're not. Okay. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a whatever. It's like, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been saved by this Jesus, because that was a plan of God to save you and, and to rescue you. That's what you hold. You hold a mission. I mean, think about this. Any rescue mission. If a ship goes down, if something's happening, people are lost. There's an earthquake, a landslide. 
you know, it, it, it comes with the recognition of we need help. I mean, yesterday we were doing our connect class and somebody in the class stopped and went out. So it's in tears. We kind of handed it over. Somebody went over what's going on. Her daughter lives in Hawaii. Does anybody know what happened in Hawaii yesterday? Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, we're checking all the news feeds. Doesn't look right. Thankfully it wasn't right. But in that moment, it's like, is a ballistic missile coming to blow up our island? You, you kind of clarify your life in that moment, right? It's like, should I go to Costco now? No. Okay. Should I? No. You should think about what matters most right now. And that caused a lot of people to think, if I have 10 or 15 minutes left, what matters most? For you, what matters most? What is your motive? Is it to share the message of Jesus? Because that's what we are all to be about. We are all to be making disciples. God forbid that we would create a church where we could just come on the weekends and have church. Sing our songs, hear our messages, go home. Man, that would be depressing to me. Because that's not what we're here to do. We're here to live a life of Jesus. We're here to live a life in such a way that there's something in us that's attractive and it's Jesus. And then when we go out and do whatever we do, whatever our job is, people see Jesus in us and through us. And then in those moments... In those moments, all of a sudden, and Peter says it this way, when somebody asks you about the hope that you have, because they see the hope shining through you, then you're ready to talk about Jesus. You can give the answer. Well, here's the answer. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to rescue us because we are all going down for the last count. If you're on a rescue mission, you have to identify the need. You have to acknowledge your need for help. You've got to quit thrashing around in the water and you've got to reach out for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we think about this, this message and, and these words, it's pretty simple. That we are a people that need to be saved and rescued from this world. Not because the world is evil and we look at people that way, but because we are evil. We are broken. We are sinful. We stand first in line as people who need Jesus. May the hope and the message of everything we talk about and share and live and serve in our world around us. Be about that. This week, Lord, and as the weeks come by, may we be reminded once again that you came to save us. That it's not about adding to that. It's not about religion. It's not about churchianity. It's not even about church attendance. It's about coming under the realization that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to save us from our sins to die for us, to rescue us, to come into our place. Father, that's our message. And if there's anyone here that needs to receive that, Lord, may your spirit work on their heart, speak the truth. You offer freedom. You offer true fulfillment. You offer everything our heart longs for. If we would just come to the acknowledgement of our brokenness before you, we would receive new life in Jesus. God, you're so good and you're so faithful and you're so kind and gentle to us. Your patience is to draw us to yourself. May you move in people's hearts. For older guys like me who've been a follower for so many years, remind all of us that we have nothing but the gospel. And when we have the gospel, we have everything. And may we just fall in love once again with it. We pray in your name. Amen.